I want you to get your Bibles open this morning to John chapter 1, and I'm going to be talking this morning's message is called Beyond, or I'm sorry, Before Bethlehem, Before Bethlehem, uh, and of course highlighting this amazing time of year when uh, we celebrate the imminence of Jesus. We've been talking a lot about transcendence, and let me give you a highlight on why transcendence is important and why we need to go way back from Bethlehem to appreciate this moment. How many of you saw The Passion of the Christ when it came out years ago, Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ? Uh, did you li- I, say, I would say, do you like it, but that's it, not a movie you go, oh yeah, uh, because it's a movie that's so weighty and so heavy. Uh, that it's hard to use the words we liked it, but it was a powerful depiction of the brutality of what Jesus went through as he made his way to Calvary and died for us. But here was my critique of the movie as someone who loves Jesus. Um, They did not spend enough time in that movie developing his humanity. And so what happened was, for anybody that didn't know Jesus, all you saw was this incredible brutality taken out on this innocent man. But I would like to suggest, with my uh, movie expertise, all right, that if they would have taken more time to demonstrate the kindness and the goodness and the love of Jesus, our hearts would have been all the more broken, devastated to watch what uh, sinful men did to, did to the Lamb of God. Amen? I mean, it would have crushed your heart uh, to see that. Let me suggest this. That if we're ever going to get rescued from the American ever-increasing secular version of Christianity to really stand in awe of the babe and the manger and all that Christmas season you know, focuses on, we've got to go way before Bethlehem and we've got to spend some time as we have focusing on the greatness and the majesty of God. If we don't understand who he is, then the baby in the manger loses a lot of its awe and wonder. And so that's my goal today. When you look at the, at the various gospel writers, they're all trying to capture in their own way through their own unique personalities and experiences, all under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but all unique. They try to capture an aspect of the beauty and greatness of Jesus. And how many of you know he's uncapturable? There's no one gospel that's going to be able to capture the fullness of the glory of Jesus Christ. But they all try. For instance, when you look at Matthew's gospel, the the thing that screams in Matthew's gospel is the king, Jesus as the king. We see his royalty. In fact, if you look at Matthew's gospel, it starts off with this long genealogy. And you're going, why does he start off with a genealogy? Well, he's writing to Jewish people who care about where somebody came from. They care about their pedigree. And we find that Jesus came from the line of King David. There's royalty in his blood. And so Matthew focuses on that. When you go to Mark's gospel, it's completely different. In Mark's gospel, you see Jesus highlighted as this obedient servant who's coming and giving his life away, loving people, serving people. And his account begins with John the Baptist preparing the way of the coming of the Lord. Then you get to Luke's gospel, where a lot of you have probably been reading during the holiday season because we love Luke's account of the gospel about Jesus and his birth. Luke's emphasis is on Jesus' humanity, on Jesus as the Son of Man who came to seek and came to save the lost. And Luke begins, interestingly enough, highlighting all the prophetic witness of, about Jesus leading up to his birth and highlighting also the supernatural um, nature of Christ's coming. And so that's what we get from Luke. But when we get to John's gospel, John's gospel starts off completely differently. There's no genealogies. There's no, there's no John the Baptist there at the beginning. There's no any of that, folks. 
All we get is this amazing thing called the prologue, all right? What's the prologue? It's, the, it's like an introductory. It's like the preface. But, but in this prologue, in the first few verses of John, they are absolutely so pregnant with truth and with the foundations of a Christian worldview that we would be remiss if we didn't dive in and focus on some of these things. So let's take a look. You know, in John's Gospel, for instance, he focuses on the seven I am's of Jesus Christ. Those I am's are not found in any of the other Gospels. But in John's Gospel, he emphasizes all the aspects of Jesus' divinity that set him apart from every other person. So it's unique. And when we come to this question, which all the Gospels deal with, who is this man, Christ Jesus? John doesn't wait for the ending of his book to explain it. John goes right to the heart. And this is what he has to say about Jesus. Read with me in um, uh, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Verse 3, All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. Then you jump down to verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You know, I so appreciate our worship team because as I kind of share them the direction, I feel like the Lord's leading us scripturally. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but we've already sung pretty much John chapters 1, 1 through 3, and verse 14 this morning as we focused on uh, Christ becoming human flesh, taking on human flesh. They do such a good job highlighting that. But here's the message that is screaming during the holiday season. It's the message of a God who would spare no expense, who would stoop so low. In fact, an, infinitely, uh, dis- an infinite distance of lowness as we try to get our minds around it. Uh, basically to say this, there's nothing that's going to keep me away from you. There's nothing that's going to keep my love from you. You're valuable enough to me that I'm going to do everything that I have to do to defeat all the enemies that would keep you from me so that I might bring you to myself. That's the message of Christmas, and that's the message that John is trying to scream out here in the first few verses of his book. He's, he's displaying God's eminence through his, crea- through his rather incarnation, uh, where God became a human person, the man Christ Jesus. And so let's go uh, back a little bit here before Bethlehem. And I want to look, as we read this text, at four key things about Jesus' identity. Number one we want to point out today is Christ's eternal glory. The Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word. What's important for us to understand is before that little baby ever showed up in the manger, Jesus Christ existed eternally from before the beginning of what we know of is creation. When you say from the beginning, how many of you know eternal beings don't have beginnings? And so what does it mean to say that Jesus was with the Father from the beginning? What's the beginning that's being talked about there? Well, it's the beginning of the created realm as we know. But the Bible says something awesome about the man Christ Jesus. He existed with God from the beginning, meaning... As we know, God is eternal. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is eternal. Most of the cults, this is where they get into problems, is they suggest that Jesus wasn't God and wasn't eternal with God, but that Jesus was created. How many of you know Jesus was not created as the Jehovah's Witnesses teach? For instance, Jesus was not created. Jesus was begotten. There's a difference, and I don't have time this morning to get into that nuance. But this is what separates Jesus from every other religious figure. He has existed from eternity past. 
And what that means is any being who is eternal is by definition God, and Jesus claims to be eternal. How many of you know when you use the name I am, it doesn't mean I was or I will be. In fact, all those are kind of included in the I am because I am is the eternal now, which encompasses everything in the past and everything in the future because when you're eternal, there is no past and there is no future. There's just now. Now, we could pause right there and just get a brain cramp because that's pretty, pretty erratic. To use past, pre- you know, when the Bible says Jesus is the same uh, yesterday, today, and forever, is simply using English language to try to capture a being who exists in, etern- in eternity and who does not change. How many of you know because Jesus is God, he cannot not be God all the time, which this is good news. It means that Jesus Christ as God still saves, still heals, still delivers. He's not had a power shortage. He is still awesomely, infinitely, eternally God Almighty. And that's good news for us today. There was never a time when Jesus wasn't, which is pretty stunning. He is the pre-existing one. But how many of you know, too, there's an interesting word that's used. In the beginning was the word. It's the word, the word for word is the word logos in the Greek. And, and John is using a word that in his time everybody would have understood. Because here's the way this works. The word logos in, in Greek philosophy, if you go all the way back to Plato and some of these people, this, this is how they would reason, Okay. They would say, first of all, well, I can reason, therefore there must be reason with a capital R. I mean, you know, if you can reason in your mind, then you have to ask the question, where did my ability to reason come from, and where did reason itself come from? And that would always point them to something greater. Um, reason was like an impersonal force. Reason was like the thing that held the universe together. And here's the deal. When they looked at the created realm, which is what theologians call general revelation, Romans chapter 1. I mean, you know, God has given us enough of a revelation of himself just in the created realm that we know certain things about him. We know that he's powerful. Can anybody say amen to that? We know that he's smart. Can anybody give an amen to God on that one? We know also that the universe is not random and chaotic like evolution teaches, but the universe is incredibly a fine-tuned uh, a machine that operates on the basis of laws. Uh, and it is not capricious or random or anything like that. It is based on incredible order and intelligence. And so unsaved people who don't know God reason, and this is what they say, there must be a God uh, capital L for lawgiver. If there's laws, there must be a lawgiver. If we reason, there must be somebody reasonable. If there's uh, uh, intelligence that we find in the universe, there must be a, a mind with a capital M. The only problem was they never ascribed to a personal God. These were all just um, philosophical constructs that existed out there. They were impersonal ideas and philosophies. But all of a sudden, John does something radical in John chapter 1. This is what John says. In the beginning, with God was the Word, the Logos, with a capital L, and He is not an impersonal being. He is a person. You can know Him. In fact, this is what He says about, about the Logos and about God Himself. How many of you know, like, if, if Chris wanted to get to know me, and I could not speak, or I could not communicate in any way, I didn't even have facial expression. She would have no way of knowing what's inside my heart. She would have no way of knowing what I'm about. She, if, if I had a will to express or a desire to express, there's no way she would know it because 
the fact that there must be a spoken word. It's the spoken words that put something uh, uh, around the ideas in my mind. And how many of you know John hits the nail on the head here as far as creation because he said before anything was created, there exists the realm of ideas in mind. Before there was matter, there was mind. Now, anytime you fix a car, uh, guess what? You go to the instructor's manual. Somebody designed that engine before it manifested. Anytime you go into a building like this, this didn't just happen by evolution. There was a blueprint. It existed in mind before it existed in matter. John's saying, look, there is mind that existed before anything was created. This mind, though, his name, he has a name. His name is Logos. His name is Jesus. And here's what's cool about him. We would have no way of knowing what God is like if God did not choose to use words. Jesus is the incarnate Word of God so that in Jesus we know what God thinks, what God feels. We know the will of God. We know the heart of God because God said, remember how we ended last week's message in Matthew 17, God screams out from heaven, right? This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And you remember what came next? Listen to Him. What was God doing? God was reaffirming that he sent the word Logos, Jesus Christ, the word incarnate, the word in flesh. Why did Jesus come? Jesus came to reveal the heart of God and to reveal the personality of God and to reveal the person of God and to reveal the will of God so that, so that, so that, hear this, you and I could have a relationship with this God and enjoy him forever. Jesus is divine reason, divine mind. He is the wisdom of God incarnate. And he comes to personally introduce us to God the Father. Second thing about Jesus we want to highlight from this text is that is his divine identity. We mentioned this, but I want to drill home a little more here. It says not only that in the beginning was the Word, but it says, and the Word was God. The Word was God. Look at Colossians 1.15. I love this passage highlighting, again, the supremacy of Jesus. Christ is the visible image. Notice their visible image of the invisible God. We all know God reveals himself as a spirit. The reason God is a spirit is because God is infinite in every way. He's not limited by anything. And, And the only thing that's not limited by anything is that which is spirit. Are you with me? If God took on human flesh in the the person of Jesus Christ, Jesus was limited in terms of his body. He could not be everywhere at once, could he? Because his body limited him. But God as a spirit is unlimited. Um, But notice here, it says, um, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. In other words, he is God with a face. He is God with a body. He is God in flesh and blood. And it says this about him. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all of his creation. So notice Christ was the coexistent creator of everything that is. We'll get into that in just a moment. Let me get to the third point quickly here. Christ's relationship with the Father. Notice it says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. That's kind of an unfortunate translation in the Greek language, with God, because you get the idea of somebody standing alongside somebody else. Rex, I'm going to put you on the spot this morning. You look very godlike this morning. (laughs) Not that you're that much older than me. Um, We're pretty much brothers, but you're going to be my father now, so come on up here real quick. Just put you on the spot. Help the brother out, all right? He had no idea I was going to do this to him. Um, 
this, ver- this with God doesn't mean like just hanging out in the same room. doesn't mean side by side. It, it's much more intimate than that. It literally means Jesus Christ was face to face with the Father. Now, I don't know any of you that are parents in here. When you have, when you have children that are born, what do we do? We hold them up and, and guys start talking in weird voices. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Oh, they're so cute. And something comes over us and this, this daddy talk and, and we look into their faces. And I know you've done this with your girls. You look into their faces and what do you see? You see a reflection of your glory because they have mama's chin, they have daddy's eyes. You know, we do all that kind of stuff, right? God the Father looking into his son is beholding in Jesus Christ not only him, the glory of himself, but father-son relationship as scripture reveals to us, which is stunning. They existed before anything existed. They existed in a relationship like this. And we shared last week, when God declares anything about his son, and there's only a couple places in scripture where God himself is speaking about the son, what is he always saying? A couple things. I love you like crazy. I'm proud of you. You bring me such joy. Now, I told you before, isn't it awesome in a healthy father-son relationship? And many of us have never experienced this, but but how many of you know everything God does is a foretaste of what's coming for you? All right? A healthy father-son relationship, you'll be able to look, my father will be able to look into my eyes with unbridled joy, passion, and affection and communicate that I'm loved and cherished and that I have a place in his heart that nobody else has. Isn't that awesome? And here's the cool thing. The son looks back at the father, reflecting the passionate love that he has for his father. Because what did Jesus do? He came to reveal what his father was like. And how many of you know everything Jesus did, he did for one reason, to please his father and to demonstrate the greatness of his dad. All right, to reveal his dad, the father, to us. That's why Jesus came. So if you can imagine, there was no loneliness in this relationship. Like, oh, it's just me and you, and here we are adoring each other again. Um, oh, what are we going to do for the next billion years? Remember, they're dwelling in eternity. There are no billions of years. They're just enjoying each other forever. And you say, well, how long did they do that before creation? We don't know. Because God, the one whose thoughts are so much higher than ours, hasn't told us that yet, but we might find out someday when we're with him, all right? But here's the beauty of this. Unbridled affection. There's the place that Jesus, the son, has in the heart of the father. Nobody else shares that, all right? That, that, is, that is a place of incredible honor. And Jonathan Edwards said this as he was thinking about the Trinity and the relationship of the father, son, and Holy Spirit. He said that the relationship between the father and the son was so intense that it actually was the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, who is the spirit of the esprit de corps of the love and relationship between father and son is actually so intense it's the third person of the Trinity. How's that for giving you a brain cramp? So when we talk about God sending Christ in human flesh, in that little manger, in the womb of that teenage Virgin Mary, to do what God called him to do, this is stunning. Because this is God giving of his son to accomplish. You know, Christmas, we talk about, birth, about Jesus' birthday and giving gifts and all that. And I'm not against any of that. Praise the Lord for all that. But how many of you know the, the gospel is very clear? Jesus came for one reason, to save sinners. It started with a birth. It ended on a cross and a resurrection and ascension uh, and a second coming that's soon. But it started right here. 
And this is the relationship we really need to get because check this out, and we're going to get into this in a few weeks. Jesus said that the time is coming when the love that he, he has for the Father and the Father has for him, Jesus prayed that that same exact love would be in you and in me, which means the love the Father has for his Son is the love the Father has for this Son. And the time is coming when God's going to enlarge my capacity to be able to love God the Father the way Jesus loves God the Father. Isn't this going to be awesome? So they're not just hanging out together for eternity. They're not in the same room. They're not even side by side in a business relationship. The Greek suggests they are face to face in a relationship of love and intimacy and adoration and cherishing one another. That was the context for the creation of all that is. Isn't that awesome? We're the overflow, not of two lonely people in heaven that are playing Catan for the you know tenth game in a row or whatever it is. That you, you know, Uno. All right, your turn. No, they weren't playing Uno. Um, this, this, everything that is is the overflow out of this incredible relationship between father and son. In other words, when God looks at, and, and come on, parents, be honest with me. You say, Pastor Ron, why did you have eight kids? Well, we looked at Lauren. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Look at those little lips. Look at those <laughs> little ears, those little fingers. Oh, uh. And we're just curious, what would the next one look like? <laughs> and what would the next one look like? And the problem was, we thought they were all cute. You know, we didn't have a ringer in the whole bunch. We thought they were all cute. And thank God, we finally figured out how this was happening. When one day we laid in a heap, totally exhausted, going, what have we done? Um, some, of you could, some of you know what I'm talking about. But anyway, all of creation, if you could imagine this, is the overflow out of the love between father and son. It's God's glory going public in the whole cosmos. So when you think of Jesus as a baby in the arms of a teenage mother, how in the world does the infinite, eternal one who created all things by his spoken word fit in a teenage mom's arms or in the womb or in a manger, for for crying out loud? It was Solomon who said, you're expecting me to build a temple for God who fills the entire cosmos? How am I supposed to do that? I, I can't. This is stunning this revelation, and you did a great job of being God. The give, Father. Give me a hug. Come on. Let's finish this thing. I delight in you, Dad. Come on. All right. Well, we're not the Father and the Son, but we're doing our best this morning. Just like the babe in the manger, we're trying to get our brains around all this. Let me um, highlight a couple verses here. John 17, 24. Jesus said, Father, you love me before the foundation of the world. That love relationship going back before matter and time. All right, John chapter 1, verse 18. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father has explained him. Notice that phrase, bosom of the Father. That means before the baby was in the manger, the son was in the bosom of the Father in this relationship of intimacy and closeness that is unprecedented and hard for us to even understand as finite fallen people. John is saying that Jesus is so intimate with God that God has no secrets from him, and therefore Jesus is the one person in all the universe who can reveal to us what God is like and how God feels towards us. Isn't that awesome? The reason he can do that is because he is God and because he knows God and because he exists with God from the very beginning. John 10, verse 30, these are the passages that got Jesus in big trouble with the Pharisees. He says, I and the Father are one. 
And then John 14, verse 9, he who has seen me has seen the Father. This was the kind of stuff that got Jesus crucified for blasphemy, for claiming to be one with God. I just want to make sure we know that this morning. Jesus claims to be God. That's what sets him apart from every other wannabe religion or religious leader. Let me end with the final point here. Number four, Christ's relationship with creation. Notice in verse two, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him, Jesus. Nothing was made that was made. Anything that had a beginning found its beginning in Jesus Christ. I love the way the Message Bible translates Colossians 1, 16 and 17. Listen to the colorful language here. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible, invisible, rank after rank of angels, everything got started in Him, Jesus Christ, and finds its purpose in Him, Jesus Christ. He was, bef- he was there before any of it came into existence, and He holds it all together right up to this very moment. Now this is stunning. What keeps the universe from just blowing up and splitting into a million different pieces even right now? Can I tell you the answer? The will of Jesus Christ and the authority of Jesus Christ. He holds the entire cosmos together. He was with God at the Father's right hand as his partner in the creation of everything that exists. This is why verse 14, and this is where we're going to end today, this is why verse 14 is so incredibly mind-blowing. It says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. First of all, let's look at this. The Word became flesh. How in the world does the God we just described, the God who at His spoken Word creates matter and all that exists, how does that God take on human nature like this and come and walk on planet Earth? How does the Word become flesh? How does the infinite become an infant? I love the story of this little girl. She's crying out for her mommy from the bedroom, and uh, she was afraid, and uh, she, she said, Mom, Mom, you know, I'm, I'm afraid. It's dark in here. I don't want to be alone. And her mom said, Honey, it's okay. The Lord is with you. Maybe you've done that as a parent. This is what she's called back. She said, Mom, I know, but I want somebody with skin on. <laughs> There's something about somebody with skin on. We know God's with us, but we've all enjoyed having mom or dad jump in bed and snuggle with us at a time when we were fearful or needed comforting. Jesus Christ is God with skin on. And the word skin, it's interesting because this word for flesh, they could have used a different word in the Greek. They could have used the word soma, which means body. It's a more elegant, sanitized word in the Greek that could have been used. But this is the beauty of this. The Holy Spirit uses through the Apostle John a word that is gritty. It's a word that's messy. It's a crude word that literally means flesh and blood and bodily functions. It says the Word of God, the eternal, uncreated, uh, infinite God, took on human flesh, this stuff, and became one of us. Colossians 2.9 says, For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. Divinity taking up residence in a human body. How about this? The eternal one stepping into time. Holiness and our humanness intertwined in the man Christ Jesus. The transcendent glory is taking upon himself our sarks, our flesh and blood, so that we could know him and so that he could save us. I love this. Ultimate reality becomes a baby. 
The author of life becomes part of the creation. Bruce Milne, a theologian, came to this conclusion. He said, if Jesus Christ shares the nature of God, which he does, then we are called to worship him without cessation. We're called to obey him without hesitation. We're called to love him without reservation. And we're called to serve him without interruption. He says, to God be glory forever and ever. And I end with this quote from Max Lucado, which I love. Jesus entered the world not to demand our allegiance, but to display his great affection for us. God Almighty taking on human flesh so that he could reveal to us just how much God loves us. You know, before we leave here today, I'd just love to give us a chance to worship our way out. Obviously, if you need any prayer, come on down. We'd love to pray with you. If you don't know Christ, uh, we'll have some of our leadership here just to introduce you to Jesus, pray with you. But if you have any needs, physical needs, whatever, I encourage you to come on down. But here's what I'd like to do is just hop to our feet. We've had the band come back on stage and just to lead us in a song of praise. I want Bill and Franny to make their way down here in front as, uh, as soon as I say amen. You're dismissed. Feel free to leave. But if you'd like to linger and you just want to worship God, here's, here's the message this morning. Think of the heights that God has descended from to communicate his love for us in the person of Jesus Christ. That's the wonder of this holiday season. It's something we should be in awe of. And I want to, as you're thinking about that, I want you to know this. God did this because he loves you. Right now, he loves you. He's looking forward to enjoying you forever and ever and ever. If you feel alone this holiday season or you're going through a rough time, I just want to tell you God's crazy about you, irregardless of how you feel. He's crazy about you, and he wants this time to be a breakthrough for you. So don't leave without some prayer, all right? Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the greatness of this message of the Word becoming flesh. Now, Lord, we ask you to take your place in us as your dwelling place. Live in us, among us, and through us this week. Help us to love people, Lord, with the same love that you love us with. We'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Hey, you're dismissed. Have a great week. We love you. Don't forget marriage class today. And if you need prayer, come on down.